Hello and welcome to another episode of the Winging It F1 podcast. We've just had the Spanish Grand Prix and I think it's safe to say it wasn't the best Grand Prix we've ever had. It wasn't quite a classic. Lewis Hamilton on pole position winning for the 88th time. I believe just three behind Michael Schumacher's record of 91 victories. He's also beaten Schumacher's record or podium record, sorry, of 155. And with me to talk about all this, I've got Freddie Coates. Unfortunately, we've just got two two of us this week because Adam has gone off for a holiday somewhere in the Staycation. UK. He's not gone to Spain. Yeah. And <laughs> or he's France. living in the UK. Yeah, or France. There's a quarantine. But yeah, uh, he'll be back in a couple of weeks. For now it's just me and Freddie. Freddie, what did you make of the race? Mercedes Verstappen. Mercedes, Hamilton, Verstappen, Bottas. It's a top three. Yeah, you can look at it in two ways. You can look at it as the the kind of fairly tedious race that the fight for the lead was, or you can look at it as just Hamilton's just got a handle a hand already on this championship, and he just did another masterclass performance. He only missed out on topping one session this weekend, and that was FP1 because he led every lap. Got. Um, didn't get fastest lap just, but got pole, led every lap, led, led every qualifying session, led two practice sessions. Uh, yeah, yeah I, th- I think he was unstoppable this weekend. As much as everyone tried to hype up Verstappen um, oh. over the over the over last night, um, yeah. it was it was a, one of those masterclass weekends that you get from Hamilton that it's it's just so easy to be bored at, but also so worthy of praise. Yeah, definitely. And the uh, the tyre pressures weren't as high. The harder tyres definitely helped Mercedes. We didn't see as much blistering. So I think, do you think it's safe to say that Silverstone 2, Verstappen winning was a one-off probably and, and this is this is more of a normal race of, of, what's, of what's going to come this season? I think for the, for the... I think it was a one-off because I think the majority of tracks are going to have the C1, C2, C3 compounded tyres. I think that's what we had this weekend. Yeah. Um, whereas the middle, the, the two, three, four sets that were there last week seemed to be a bit more favoured to Red Bull. Uh, Max was able to um, keep a bit, keep a few tabs on Hamilton at the early phases of the of the race um, on the softest compound. And later on in the race, Bottas couldn't keep up on when he was on the softer compound. So on the softer rubber, the Red Bull is is good, um, but on the harder rubber, I think. Well. The Mercedes has really got the legs, but I think well, I do think the Mercedes is still the better car. Yeah, just, well, they both they all started on the soft tyres, and Verstappen really struggled towards the end of the first, and didn't he? he dropped from about two mm. seconds to nearly ten seconds. So um, I'm That's not true. even sure if 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 Red Bull are better in that in that aspect. For me, if Hamilton is leading after the first lap, he's near unbeatable. I mean, I'm trying to remember the last time he led after the opening lap. And he didn't win. I, I can't remember when that was, and it's kind of a scary thing. Can you remember? I'm thinking or? back. I. <laughs> oh man. Okay, so I'm thinking back to the end of 2019. So we had Abu Dhabi, no. Brazil. Brazil. He didn't win, but he but Verstappen oh, was on yeah, pole. He, he was in like fifth in the grid for that one. Yeah. Um, did he lead at the end of lap one in? Kosa? No, he was like fourth. Oh, man. Kosa was before mm. that. Suzuka? 
No, Bottas won that. I mean, it says it all, doesn't it? Really, when we can't Germany, win. Germany. It was Hockenheim. Germany. Hockenheim last year. Yes. It was Hockenheim. Because um, right. Verstappen led in Hungary, and then the Ferraris had the pole positions for the next few races. Uh, so, yeah, it was Hockenheim 2019. It was the last race Lewis Hamilton led the first lap of and didn't win. Yeah, incredible, really. And I think this, uh, Hamilton's biggest asset is not necessarily qualified. Yes, he's got the most pole positions, which is incredible. But in the race, he's got on top of these Pirelli tyres. And I remember back in 2011 and 2012, when people said, oh, he kills the tyres, he can't manage them, he's rubbish, he just goes too fast. But then look now, he's probably the best in the field still, and managing his rubber, and ultimately that's what's winning him these races because to win by the margin he had, he had it's just it's just crazy it's, and he's in the dream team as well it's just yeah I think he's all set for a seventh world title I think that's fair to say Freddie yeah definitely um, <laughs> we're talking about records all all year this year weren't we? We, we we alluded to it in pretty much every podcast we've done he's got three wins until he's matching Schumacher four wins until he's the best of all time he's the best of all time podiums he is the best of all time pole positions. He is soon going to presumably be equaling the best of all time in terms of championships. I don't think we can ignore that. I think Lewis Hamilton is the greatest of all time. But that's obviously a debate for another time. But yeah. Ooh, I'm a Schumacher uh, fan. Well, I grew up as one. Mm. So that's yeah. definitely, yeah, it's definitely something we can argue about for another episode perhaps uh do you think Hamilton has any weaknesses really if anything I may be qualified because oh, I don't know actually not at the moment last year perhaps but I think that was just because of the just because of the um the the second half of the season being so close yeah. in qualifying I think Hamilton is on I mean, 92 pole positions now? Correct, yeah. Yeah, and I don't think you can call that qualifying weakness from whatever, 240-odd races. Mm. So, um, mm, weakness, none that he's not ironed out. <laughs> he's, like you say, he used to be a little bit, little bit wayward on the tyres, but he's not at all now. He yeah. used to get a bit hot-headed with McLaren, but he's, he's definitely allowed to be himself at Mercedes and, you know, absolutely plays into his strengths sometimes obviously he can be a little bit um there's the meme of my tires are gone and he can he can i don't want to say moan because it's not a moan it's more of a therapy a therapy process for him just to sort of you know relay to the team the what's going on and i think it's a to speak about it know. yeah i, I think it seems to be, he seems to have it all under control <laughs> even if he thinks his tires are gone and i think psychologically he's in the best frame of his mind he, he, he said on the final lap at the radio he didn't really celebrate across the line and I, I was looking to see if he was like his head in his hands or something as he came across the line but he wasn't and then his radio came up and with Bono with his classic get in there Lewis and Hamilton was just going on about how much he was in the zone and that's just that's godlike that's absolutely brilliant and I just mm. think you could just tell he was just I don't, I don't they didn't show any, any, anything that went wrong with that race. I mean, normally when there's a driver in, in the lead, if they like, you know, go wide, have a lockup, they'll show it. Nothing happened with that with Hamilton. 
was just the only the you, only. He went over Roman Grosjean's little thing, didn't he? <laughs> he went, yeah, he went over oh, a bit of Roman Grosjean's floor. Um, <laughs> he went over that, and I thought he was one pitting at the end when they pitted Bottas because I thought maybe he's got a slow Imagine. back, thing, but he didn't. Well, yeah, that would have been nip and tuck with Verstappen at the pit exit. But um, the only thing that went wrong for Hamilton was his rear left was slightly sticky in his first pit stop. That was it. Yeah. And even that wasn't his fault because he can't get out of the car and change his own tires. It was still be crazy. a four and a half second pit stop. <laughs> obviously, that's so sloppy and he's going to lose the race. But he didn't. <laughs> yeah. There's Hamilton taking the win then. Verstappen was second. He maximised his, his result, really. I mean, what, what is there to say about Max? He's, he can play another radio more than usual this race. I'm not sure why. I was. He seemed very frustrated at something, even though second was a, a really good result for him. I think it's another mindset thing. About lap 10, he was trying to basically realise he wasn't going to win the race and kind of thought, well, I'm going to try and do the best I can. And rather than getting stressed about it and rather than my team getting stressed about it, we're just going to absolutely hammer home this advantage we got on Bottas, which was the track position. And they did that. I think that was all they did. They they basically just beat Bottas. And rather than focusing on trying to do something different, to beat Hamilton or trying to be a bit quirky like Rebel are good at, um, rather than losing third, losing to, losing second to third by trying to get first, they needed, they wanted to keep second. Because he is second in the championship going into this race. And it's only he's only extended that gap to um, Bottas. I think there's half a chance Verstappen could even beat Bottas to second this year because yeah. Bottas you know today he, he didn't get the best of starts he, he couldn't quite get into the slipstream of Hamilton if Verstappen just had an overlap do you think there was any way Bottas could have taken second today? Yeah you lost it at the start um, yeah. if, he, if he had lost second to Verstappen I think maybe because he could have he would have been able to stay closer during the opening phases but he was always on the on the back foot if when he didn't get past Stroll immediately on like lap three or something, because mm. he did Stroll did a pretty good job to keep him there till lap five. Bottas did an okay job to not get into a get into a rut and get behind get stuck behind him, which is very easy to do when you've got a car with the same power unit in front of you. Um, but so I think, but Bottas just lost the race there. He did very, I think he did very well to not get taken by Perez and Albon on the first lap. He just mm. just completely dropped it on the first first lap. Unfortunately, I think from there there on in, it was a hard task for him to come back to second. Mm. And we've seen we've seen quite a few quite a few returns to the podium for Bottas this this season. I mean Austria um, Austria two, he he had to catch up with um, Verstappen. He only managed to. So close to the end, yeah, that's wet qualifying, but he should have been on the front row from a wet qualifying, still in that mm. car. Um, in Hungary, he got his NAF start. He still came, forward, came through to third. Um, yeah, he should have, he should have um, been a bit more feisty at Silverstone 1. And I, think, I don't know, he, he was the lead Mercedes driver for Silverstone 2 for the majority, but apart from that, mm. I don't yeah. know what, what Bollas has got. He could have gone on a medium tyre for his final stint today, but even then, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why Mercedes went on the softs. I agree. That could have given him more of a fighting chance, perhaps. It's another example. 
another example of the um of the the mental capacity that Lewis Hamilton's got that he can think to say actually no you know what no I don't agree with this rather than Bottas going copy our box Hamilton's going actually no I don't think we should box I think we should go on to the medium I've got a bit of life for an extra lap in this tire for us to debate this I've got a gap crucially for that kind of conversation um but that's just Hamilton just being more switched on more ability to switch on than than Bottas I mean the, uh, people always talk about the extra room in these guys' minds to think about how to how to control these cars, how to strategize the race, while also hitting those apexes, hitting those breaking points, managing those tires all the time. It's kind of like Schumacher and Senna. You could just have a conversation about how their kids were while they were driving around the track. It's that kind of thing. Um, so, I think it's it's another Bottas's flaws are showing examples of Hamilton's strengths. Mm. Yeah, that's something I noticed. I mean, it could just be a coincidence, this. But the last three races, Bottas in the opening since he seems to do pretty good. He's keeping up with Hamilton. But in Silverstone 1, before the tyre blowouts, he started to drop back in the last 20, 30 laps of the race. In Silverstone 2, he also had a not-so-good final stint and was overtaken by Hamilton at the end. And it seemed today, again, he couldn't really do anything in that final stint. I'm just wonder why in the second half of the race is Bottas is dropping off. It could just be a coincidence and be, you know, the others pick up the pace. Well, I just thought it was a weird thing that man, I've noticed in the last, in the, uh, recently, sorry. I think it's coincidence because Bottas is good on low fuel. Yeah. I mean, we, his qualifying margin to Hamilton is, is no fluke. He's, the majority of time, is, is, within, is within a tenth to Lewis in qualifying. So, it's, it's not like he's finding the car harder to control when it's a bit more skatey um, <laughs> and, and got it and a bit lighter at the end of the race. I think, I think it's just a coincidence, frankly, just yeah. because he has been able to close in lo- later stages as well in previous races. Mm. And I think one thing we didn't talk about in the last podcast was, uh, was Bottas has signed a new one year deal to stay with Mercedes next season. Hamilton, and Mercedes themselves haven't signed anything for next year. Quickly, Freddie, do you think Bottas is the right choice for Mercedes? Yeah. They couldn't really, have, yeah, couldn't really have gone with anyone else, really. Unless they could have coaxed out a top driver like a Verstappen or a, um, probably yeah, someone like a Ricardo actually. But I don't really mm. think there's anyone else who can do a better job than what Bottas is doing. If you look yeah. at the qualifying, for instance, um, if he just gets a good start, then Bottas is doing the best job. It's just today he got a poor start, um, mm. and I think you're not going to get anything better out of a Russell or an Ocon in that seat. Yeah. I think I think Bottas is the right choice in terms of keeping the team dynamic, keeping the the reliable option. I mean, we'll probably have a debate about best number two driver in the future, whether mm. it's an, a Barrichello or DC and Eddie Irvine, we don't know. But mm. Yeah, and I think, I think people might say it's a boring decision, but it it's the right decision because it's the dream team. Why make, you know, why have a driver change and just, yeah. I mean, Bottas is not, he's doing so much better than other number two drivers are doing at the moment. Bottas is doing all the right things. He's pushing Hamilton in qualifying and when Hamilton isn't quite on it, he does take take the win. So, yeah, I completely agree. Bottas remaining is the right thing. It's just, there's always well, the fear always get... of a young gun. Yeah, true. Yeah. The, like the dynamic in Ferrari is testament to that. I mean, when they signed Charles Leclerc to a partner Sebastian Vettel, 
it was the right decision. It was the right decision to go for youth, to go for an up-and-coming talent, but it completely ruined the mindset of half of that Ferrari garage and one of those drivers. So mm. I think uh, the Mercedes know what, a, what an awful team dynamic is like. The Rosberg-Hamilton years allude to that completely. And this t- is a team that w- has worked fantastically and has you know, not put any feet wrong in the past few years and completely has... I mean, anyone wants to work there as a, as a, as a business. It, it's, it's got trendy startup mixed with corporate cleanliness and sleekness. So it's, it's just, yeah, such, it's, it's just a well-oiled machine with the system they've got going right now. Mm, definitely. And behind the top three, everyone was lapped, which it hasn't happened since Austria. 2018 apparently really? which yeah which is just well just shows how how much of a difference there is between the top three and fourth place how what do you, what do you make of that because it is it's not great it's not a great look for for f1 is it you get you get exaggerated gaps on um these kind of tracks True, um yeah tracks with sort of lots of slow speed acceleration zones is where you're going to yeah. get like, like Hungary, for instance, you get massive gaps at Hungary as well because the gaps with the, the accentuation of the gap comes from the cornering speed, and because so much, so many sort of medium speed corners really lends itself to a, a really, really well functioning car. So the gaps are always going to be um, exas- exacerbated in this kind of track. So I think on paper it's awful for F1, but even if we had really close cars, the gaps at this kind of track would be big. Mm. Yeah, let's shall we talk about the, the track then? Some people were saying, "Oh, I hate Barcelona. Why does F one go there? Do you think it it should have a place on on the calendar?" Um, I'm conscious of everyone sort of jumping on a bandwagon of get rid of, it, rid of this track because we seem to have that. If we have a boring race at any track, there's going to be a questions raised about this racetrack kind of thing. Um, there is always that kind of knee jerk reaction, but every year Barcelona crops up. I remember the first time I watched a race in Barcelona. And it was like, well, this is a track that's famously really hard to overtake at. So teams are going to be really focusing on strategy. Back then it was refueling and that kind of thing. But like, yeah. And it's just a bit like my first initial thought was, why do we, why do we come to these tracks where everyone knows you can't overtake? Is it convenience that there's a racetrack here? And that seemed to be what it is. It's convenience that there's a race in Spain, if I'm honest. Ooh, that's why they right. go to Barcelona. We still yeah. have the Catalan national anthem, so <laughs> we did. we're not going to get into that again. Yeah. So, so do you think it, it, sh- it should stay on the calendar then? That's, that's what you're saying. I wouldn't mourn its loss. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, for me, if, if it's going to be a testing circuit, which it is, I don't think it should be on the calendar. If it's not a testing circuit, then yeah, it's fine. But because they go over there in testing, I just don't think it really works. Everyone you know, knows the track, it it doesn't, it's just a bit, it lacks something for me. I, I don't know if that final set It lacks a character change. to drive as well. It lacks a character to drive. At least if you went to Valencia, mm. not Valencia, um, Jerez. Yeah. At least if you went yeah. to Jerez. Um, another Spanish circuit that was previously a testing track, but as they've limited, not so much anymore. It's, it's it, that track is, is a brilliant track to drive on. It is narrow doesn't necessarily lend itself to racing in 
that much, but they've taken out the random chicane they put in for 1997 now. <laughs> so it's that's a bet, at least a track that the car looks good on and a car probably looks pretty fun to drive on comparatively to Catalonia, which as a track to me just looks a bit sort of off camber, a bit medium speed. It doesn't really advertise a Formula One car so well. No. Yeah, I think you know. I think ages ago they changed the final sector, didn't they? They put in the yeah. chicane, got rid of, of the fast corner. If they went back to the old layout, had the two fast right handers with the cars now, they, if they could manage to go flat out easily in the race, that might help create more overtaking, perhaps if they can stay flat know, out yeah. and then have more of a slipstream. But even then, the overtake will be done. Would be pretty easy, so there would still be the speed would probably be scrubbed off by the high speed in the yeah. in the um in the slipstream. It'd be much harder to stay close. I mean, the original sort of layout. I think it is. Is it, I don't know. You be able to help me on this? Is if it's the layout they use for the MotoGP? They definitely use the final where the chicane yeah. is, but for turn ten where they've got the sort of tight left hander, that's kind of like a there is obviously the outside yeah. loop around that, and then the original plan for the track is to sort of. I think I think it was the original track is to loop round then loop round then loop all the way onto the straight and as yeah. a track that looks really quite fun very go kart, um, but um, and very similar to other tracks built around that time, in the late eighties. So that would probably be more fun to see, but that just would lend itself to cars just getting spread out again Even more. Yeah, but I don't. But I think everyone can sit there and say, "Oh, this chicane's awful," and yeah, it does look pretty awful, and. I think the majority of the people pipe up with this just because they've played it on the F1 game and it's a bit of a part. <laughs> but I just think as a, as, a, as a final sector, it does actually offer a bit of a different challenge to the rest mm. of the track. Otherwise, it is just a faster end to the track. Whereas we were seeing the final sector being where all the mistakes were made in qualifying, being the difference between, yeah. between the races. So I think... I think I'm not as perturbed by it as others are, but it does look a bit clumsy. Okay. Well, if I could have it my way, I would make the F1 cars use the rallycross circuit, which is kind yes. of like in the final sector, but not quite. Because a good little rallycross track, that. It is, yeah. We started going there a few years ago, and mm. yeah, I quite like it. Spa's uh, got a good rallycross track. Oh. Go up through yeah. Eau Rouge and Last Radion. Last year was brilliant. Not Radion, just Eau Rouge. And then just yeah. go out Back to... <laughs> yeah, they go out through the fan zone of the Formula One race and oh. and bring it out around there. And that's really cool. Mm, yeah. Uh, Rallycross resumes next weekend, but we're not going to talk about Rallycross. We're <laughs> talking about F1. Uh, in fourth and fifth were Lance Stroll and Sergio Perez are racing points, picking up more points. I think that puts them in third. Yes, it does. It puts them in third place, even with the 15 points penalty that they got for... <laughs> Uh, you know, having music all of that jazz and stuff, but I'm not going to get into that. The one point ahead of McLaren and McLaren, are one point ahead of Ferrari, Renault. Quite oh, that's interesting, that's very now. close. So, yeah, third, fourth, and fifth are very close. Mm. So, I've got a question for you who do you think will come out in third place by the time we get to the final race? Racing point, McLaren or Ferrari? Racing point, yeah, yeah, easily. Yeah. Yeah. Well, why is that? They finished fourth and fifth. <laughs> Easily. 
Yeah, they did. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we've spoken about the characteristics characteristics of the track being sort of um, cookie cutter F1, where you get your um, this is a traditional bit of track, this traditional bit of track, put it together. It's got a bit of everything, and that is obviously why it's a fantastic testing circuit. But it's why the Racing Point is such a good car, is because it's a beautiful compromise, which is what Formula One needs to be. A Formula One car mm. needs to be the beautiful compromise, whereas McLaren doesn't is seeming to only lend itself to certain tracks. It was a bit off in Hungary and yeah. it's been a bit off here, but it's been on the money in Silverstone in Austria. So I think the next few races will be very good for McLaren, not, not Ferrari. They're, they're, they're the rivals there. But, and I think the majority of the races from this sort of truncated calendar we've got at the moment seem to lend themselves to the compromised car uh, seems to lend sorry seems to lend themselves to a, to the McLaren more than the Ferrari, but then Racing Point works on both of their strong tracks, so I mm-hmm. think it's going to be interesting to see the fourth and fifth and sixth with Renault presumably coming into a fight there as well. Um, but I think I think it'll go Racing Point, McLaren, Ferrari being very close together. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. Well. Yeah, I'd I'd agree with that. I think. Unless Racing Point get a further penalty deduction or something from the yeah. court stuff that's going to happen, I, I think they've, they've got a third place, which is great for them, really. Unless, unless Jean Tot goes with his, um, his old employers in the appeal process. <laughs> presumably won't be for a long time. I'm not sure how long, when the next WMSC meeting is. Yeah, um, I'm not sure either. <laughs> but I wouldn't be surprised if it's not till mid-September. Mm, yeah. Uh, Carl Sainz had a good race today, sixth yeah. place in the McLaren. I thought McLaren was struggling, but they seem to come back in the races as they as, as they always do. I think Sainz yeah, just said, <laughs> yeah, Sainz did a soft, soft, medium strategy, which was a bit different because not many took, not many drivers used two sets. The soft, he always goes round, uh, he always goes well round at his own circuit, doesn't he? Yeah, he equaled his best finish there today. Um, which I sort of thought maybe he got a fifth there at some point, but he obviously hasn't. Um, and yeah, he, he drove very well. He did what he needed to do. He McLaren really mastered the the second pit stop undercut because yeah. I think I think that was more by luck rather than judgment, having gone onto the softs in the second stint, which I was a bit surprised about with McLaren, but they did it with Norris as well, and it worked out pretty well for them. Um, yeah, I think. They had they were forced then to pit a bit earlier, and that allowed science to just pummel in some good laps on his on his fresh mediums, and that really lent really worked for him. Mm, yeah, it was it was an aggressive strategy that that paid off. Lando Norris, mm. I think he had a bit of a bad start, which which isn't helping when the midfield is so close. You can't afford mm. to be dropping two or three positions on the first lap. No. Shall we talk about? Alexander Albon then he was in that midfield scrap I think I should take the lead on this because you have been (laughs) um, citing all over different social (laughs) media on our little Facebook group just before this Nigel alluded to his obligatory Albon rant he did so um, yesterday evening on Twitter as well Um, I'm sure there'll be an Instagram story at some point (laughs) in which Nigel throws a dart at Alex Albon in his cupboard door Um, but, I yeah. like Albon. I do like him. I just don't oh, think he deserves chat. to be in the Red Bull seat. That's all. Yeah. That's all it is. I think, yeah. So anyone who thinks I hate him, I, I don't. I promise. He just doesn't deserve to be in that seat. 
Oh, yeah, sorry, carry on. Uh, no, yeah, Nigel. carry on. Give, give us some bases, Nigel. So, I was looking at some stats, as Freddie knows, and in the <laughs> 15 races they've uh, Verstappen and Albon have had together, Albon has only once qualified within four tenths of Verstappen. And four tenths already is a lot. Uh, that was at Japan, which he actually got the equal time. You know, Japan's first time to qualify to do the same time as Verstappen is excellent. That was just once, and since then, he hasn't done it, and before that, he didn't do it either. And for me, to be, what, so was it six, seven tenths behind he was in qualifying uh, yeah, at, at the tenths. weekend? Yeah, on a track that everyone knows, that you've got all the knowledge. To be that far behind is just not good enough. And 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 we've seen all season in qualifying, he just does not have the pace. And it's easy to say... Yes, he just needs to improve his qualifying. But the problem is, he doesn't look like he's going to do that. And that mm. That's where my problem is. And his recovery drives are great, yeah. But he just should not be in that position. And Red Bull are really lo- losing something by not having a second driver up there to, you know, at least stop, to at least to be within the Mercedes pit window uh, so that they can hold him up or so he can hold the Mercs up or something. And it's, it's just, it's partly perhaps the car is tricky to drive because we've seen how well Pierre Gasly is doing in the Alphatari, which looks easier to drive. But he's, he's just too far away from me. And I'll be very surprised if Red Bull decide to keep him for 2021, quite frankly. I think, yeah, I think Red Bull are just, I think they're, he's saved by the fact that Red Bull don't want more of the same with Pierre Gasly, and I think switching the drivers would result in a similar situation to what we had last year with Gasly and what we have now with Albon, which is that Verstappen has got his head around a very difficult car to drive, and it, and the Toro Rosso is a much more friendly car to drive, and that's where Pierre Gasly is showing his his extreme talent and his extreme speed in a um, in a driver-friendly car. So, Albon isn't doing the job, but I think Rebel have got the pickle of who will do the job. And currently, Max mm. Verstappen can, um, but it seems to be that no one else can in the, the second seat. The thing is, a lot of people, you know, you'll see on social media are defending Albon, and I can't help but feel if that was Gasly or Kafiat doing what Albon's doing now, they would, everyone would be saying, oh, they shouldn't have the seat. But no one, you know, even I know the team have to defend it, but see, I feel like I'm. Um, I've got the unpopular opinion here of saying Albon, you know, shouldn't be in the Red Bull. See, I don't get how you can de- how you can defend his performances. Not not you, Freddie. I'm saying to like <laughs> the audience. No, um, Albon has got the advantage of having had quite a few like quite a few good recovery drives. Yes, there's a caveat there: recovery drives, but they're good ones. And he was brought in to be the driver who wouldn't get um, mired in the in the quagmire of the midfield. Um, but today he did that. Today he didn't come through to a fourth or fifth position. He was seventh. He did go wheel to wheel with Science and couldn't pass him. Um, but yes, this also then is has the caveat to that of he was put on the hard tyres um, very early on, which yeah, all of the drivers are saying that didn't help at the end of um, practice on Friday. Was the hard tyres are the same as the mediums in terms of pace? They're just take longer to heat up they don't work as nicely in terms of um length of time they're pretty similar to the mediums in terms of length of wear but they're just they just lack grip 
And I don't know whether that's because of um, practice tire results for um, for the, for the Red Bull, but they're able to go onto the medium with Verstappen. So presumably they're able to go onto the medium with Albon, and that would have been from an early pit stop. That would have been pretty. He would have then had a bit better pace and would have been able to clear some of the, the back markers pretty quickly, and would have been able to be in contention with the racing points at the end of the race. I think. I think that was a strategy blunder from Red Bull. Yeah, definitely. But, um, the problem was later on, wasn't it? Yeah, the problems did also show later on when he was on the medium tyre. And, I mean, maybe Alba needs to learn to just dive down the inside of people. Every overtake <laughs> has been around the outside for Alex Alba. <laughs> and they're fantastic to watch. But you're always going to get hung out to dry at turn four on Catalonia. Always. That's just the normal racing line, normal racecraft line, is to, you know, squeeze them out and then then you've got the perfect line to cut them off on the apex into turn five. And that's exactly what happened to him. He was squeezed out by science. Science is not going to give you any room. You're, his, um, you're in his Red Bull seat still, technically. And, yeah, I think... I, I'm echoing what you're saying. I think he's a lovely chap. I think Pierre's a lovely chap. I think both of them got a poor luck of the draw with a very difficult car to drive. Hmm. Yeah, it's just the best drivers though. Exactly, the can, best drivers can, can drive that. the bad cars. Yeah, I the mean, Alonso's, the Hamiltons, the Verstappen's, um, yeah. can drive around it. But I feel even someone like a Perez or a Hulkenberg, they would be, they wouldn't be seven tenths behind in qualifying. I think they'd be, it'd be more, it'd be more like three or four, and that's, that's and this the lends, thing for me. This lends itself to the arguments. Um, for and against the Red Bull driver program, which is, yes, I think they would be better, and I think they would be better because they those kind of drivers have got ten years plus experience of Formula One cars. Albon mm. didn't drive a Formula One car till February last year. Gasly um, was in his second full season when he when he was in the Red Bull. So these guys haven't had a lot of time to really accustom to Formula One. And then a thrust into a difficult car to drive, from what we've seen, and um, have got to do the job at such a level against their teammate. Um, we don't know where they would be if they were put against 2016-level Ricardo, for instance. No. no. We don't know how much Verstappen is, would, is different in comparison to how he was in the past and how much he's potentially grown. Um, because it'd be interesting to see how good Ricardo would be in that car currently. Because he was mm. able to hold a candle to Verstappen, but in, in in his in his 2018 season, from Monaco onwards, he was I think he was out qualified, all but like once or twice. So I'm just Verstappen's just Verstappen. Yeah, I'm I'm just worried with this. It's difficult to drive, you know, story. But is it is it really that difficult? Because we we mm. don't hear much on the radio from Hamilton. Oh, it's this horrible war. The balance is all over the place already. We don't hear much of that. So it, is it possible? Getting a bit in the practice or... sessions. But I think, mm. I, think, I think with this weekend, I think there is a potential that the, the, um, the TV director is trying to move the story on. It's <laughs> just like, no, we always hear the same messages from Alex Albin. Can't be bothered with this anymore. Let's go and listen to uh, Verstappen's team radio instead. I don't know. But there is always potential for that because they've got, they're listening to the radios of 20 drivers consistently. So... I've, I've, but I don't know that there, there are arguments on both sides, but the arguments in favour of 
a new driver in that rebel seat getting the call up or just getting the outside cherry pick yeah. i think is the best out best answer for red bull mm. yeah because at the moment they have red bull effectively have one red bull driver and three alpha towers <laughs> it looks like really completely yeah um Kvyat is in the pocket of gasly alban and Kvyat, alban in his in his only his first term pretty much of formula one his first half season was getting the upper side of of Kvyat pretty much um, Kvyat definitely had the experience on his side that was kind of in comparison to Albon which showed Albon's entry was very very good to Formula 1 so they've got a fantastic team in Gasly and Albon if they were partnered yeah. um, Kvyat is sort of the, the bottom rung of this but there's, there's a middleman they're missing and I think, I think Carlos Sainz would have been very good in that Rebel seat but obviously the momentum was never there with Sainz in Rebel Mm, yeah. The last thing I'll say on Albon is, I, 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 I don't know if he's doing better than what Gasly was doing. I know a few races ago we were saying, yeah, he's doing better than what Gasly's doing. But Gasly in qualifying was much better than what's out than what Albon's doing at the moment. I'd say. Yeah. I know in the races he might not have the racecraft, but in terms of raw pace, I would say Gasly did a slightly better job than Albon. And people might not, you know like that opinion but for me that's the way it is so yeah do you agree did you yeah do you think Gasly did a better job I saw Albon is doing a better job than what Gasly did I think it's more of the same um the race is where the points are um Albon's points tally I think this year is probably no different to what Gasly's would have been this year um, but, but Alvin, yeah, he is attempting to make the progress that Gasly's did not have the confidence to do when he was in that seat. Alvin seems to have the confidence to try a bit more than Gasly did. Gasly has the confidence in the AlphaTauri, and that's that's great. But the AlphaTauri isn't the Red Bull, mm. and you need the confidence on that Red Bull, which. Um, Gasly definitely didn't have in, in race trim. Yeah. Well, yeah. There we go. Uh, it's, it's a really, really tough debate. And it was very, it was very hard to call this time last year as well. And I think if both of them were, you know, partners in Alpha Tauri, that team would be doing fantastically. We'd be singing their praises all the time. Um, yeah. It's just a Hopefully case we get that to they're see both that. promoted too early. I mean, if, if even if Gasly had spent three seasons in AlphaTauri, I feel a bit tentative about promoting him after what we've seen now with these kind of mm. guys. I think they all, they all, I don't know who they would go for. I really don't that's know the, who they can go that's for. That's the thing, is Hulkenberg. Do they try and give a big money move to Antonio Felix da Costa? What do the, <laughs> what can they do? If if we didn't know how bad Gasly was last year, we we would all be saying let's put him straight into Red Bull. 100%. So I feel right. If Kvyat was beating Gasly now, um, relatively consistently, if there was a, I mean, because they are, they are very close in the races. The only thing holding Kvyat back today was a five-second penalty at the end. So, mm. I think the only thing that if Kvyat was consistent with Gasly now, then we'd be saying put Kvyat in the seat. We'd give him <laughs> another go. Why not? You, you've you've licked your wounds and 
Suffager blushes of bringing him back into the fold two or three times. Why not put him up in the Red Bull seat? And that kind of thing. But it's just the narrative is with Alex Albon. It's, he's, the, he's the lovely young chap who's come up. He's got an Instagram account for his, for his cat. He's, just a, he's, a, he's the kind of guy you just want to say bless him to all the time. And he's not quite... I don't know. It's just they're both... Can't great. keep doing that. You can't, exactly. You can't keep going, oh, but, oh, but he's a nice guy. Oh, but he's a nice guy. Because that's when you fall into another de- argument about Ferrari and Sebastian Vettel. And Sebastian Vettel has been clearly... <laughs> underperforming quite a few times and you'd say Ferrari sack him, sack him if he was Antonio Giovinazzi and Alfa Romeo. Mm. So it's, this is more of a rant about the, the changing fate of F1 Twitter, but <laughs> yeah, that's a tag. I mean, <laughs> yeah. This will be the last all, episode of the podcast. I always seem to have different opinions to, most people on the F1 Twitter, it seems, but yeah, uh, that's fun. Twitter's, plus. Twitter's opinions, um, substantiated opinions drive debate, and we're having a brilliant debate here. And yeah, mm. we're getting to yeah. English literature, yeah, yeah. We'll see if Albon can see out the season. I'm, I'm starting to have my doubts, but yeah, we'll see what happens because obviously, this time last year, Gasly got the sack, so hopefully, it doesn't happen for Albon this year, but. We'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah, where did he finish today, Albon? I don't even know. He finished, he finished eight. seventh, yeah. eighth, eighth. Vettel was eighth. seventh, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, speaking of Vettel, we got some good points, made the one-stop strategy work, which I thought was crazy. To do medium, then. He did 37 laps on soft tyres. 37 really? laps. Wow. I mean, he could have probably been... Mad. He probably would have lasted a 36th lap, a 38th lap, if he wasn't lapped. But it was, it was, <laughs> it was helpful that he was. But Vettel, yeah, he won driver of the day. It was a fantastic performance, and it is, it's a drive that the experience on those tyres rewards. So, mm. I mean, he had the the tyre, the tyre choice of starting at 11th. Yeah, that, that and, helped. Yeah. I think the only neg- the negative was very plain to see, which was sort of a Ferrari a bit clueless as to what we're going to do with Vettel. We've we've got to, we've started on the mediums. We've kind of got to go onto the soft because the hards aren't very good. Maybe we'll go onto the mediums again. <laughs> oh well. And then Leclerc had some issues. And their attention was focused on that, but their attention never seems to return to Vettel. And Vettel just decided to, to drive as he normally would in that kind of phase of the race, assuming that there was going to be a second pit stop in probably about 10 laps time. And then he had to extend that to 20 laps time when he came, yeah. got to come in. So Vettel did very well to do that. He, he, he didn't put up much of a fight when um, he was overtaken by Stroll and presumably, I think, Science as well. Um, he, just, he just did what he did. And... That worked out for him. And I think, yeah, kudos to him. He needed a performance like that. Mm, yeah, definitely. And Leclerc, his engine cut out, which caused him to spin. It was like yeah. someone pulled a handbrake on his car. And yeah. yeah, I'm not sure what position he would have been on for because Leclerc struggled to get past Norris, didn't he? So he didn't well, really get the best strategy. Yeah. I think if, if Leclerc hadn't had his electrical issues, then he would have, the Ferrari wouldn't have scored a point maybe the clerk would have got 10th but they wouldn't have tried something different with Vettel because they were just 
gone for a, a plain strategy because they mm. wouldn't have got a little bit riled up with anything. They would have just gone, okay, cool, now we'll pit Seb because we've got two cars in the race. When it became all or nothing, pretty much, then they thought, why don't we leave Sebastian out? And so they did. And that, that got them, that yielded them seventh place, and which at a time was a net fourth when Perez got his penalty. Um, which, yeah, so it was the right idea to leave Seb out. And I think, I think just the mindset was only there because Charles Leclerc had had his issues. Mm, yeah, I feel if, if Leclerc stayed in the race and Ferrari went for a one-stop, I don't think they would have, but if they did, I think the fourth or fifth would have been on the cards for Ferrari today. So mm. it's a shame Leclerc had that spin. But yeah, the relationship between Vettel and Ferrari is in absolute bits, to, to say the least. I'm, Unfortunately, what yeah. It's going to be on... What on earth is going to be on behind, going on behind the scenes? Who knows? But yeah, there are reports that Vettel has signed for Aston Martin for fifteen million. From some Italian media saying that's still nothing confirmed, but we could hear something within the next few weeks, perhaps with, with lots, Vettel. There's been lots of um, news in the European press this weekend. We've got yeah. that. We've got that um, headline. I think there were. There's some rumours of Turkey and Hereth coming into play. There are, um, there's another one that I can't remember. Um, oh yeah, I think there. Um, there's always been all this. There's always stuff about Kimi Raikkonen nowadays, and yeah, it's just there's a, there's a lot you can take with a pinch of salt. Yeah, well, we'll find out soon what happens with Sebastian Vettel. It was a bad day. Bad weekend for Renault, really. They were at the back back end of the midfield battle. They mm. couldn't do an alternative strategy. I don't think. I, no, I think both drivers tried a one stop. Is that right? I'm hundred percent um, sure. But either way, they didn't yes. really have the pace. Uh, yeah, no, they didn't really have pace this weekend. They um got didn't quite get out of Q two. Uh, Ocon was behind a uh, an Alfa Romeo. <laughs> um, qualifying, which um, no offense to Alfa Romeo, but that was a stellar, stellar lap from Kimi Raikkonen, and he said he could go far because he had to do. I think he said he did that lap on old tires. I'm not. I think. Wow. So, <laughs> top job, mate. Um, yeah. yeah. So Ricardo went 30 laps on soft tires and was a second outside of the points, and my my app has just shut down, so I can't see what Ocon did. So let's assume he did the opposite of that and did a very long stint on soft tyres and then went and did a very long stint on did a very long stint on mediums and then did oh no, he did exactly that. Did a very long stint on mediums <laughs> and a long stint on softs and finished thirteenth um just behind Kvyat. So yeah. it was about ten seconds covering them at the end, which is which is good on race pace for the two of them. Ocon's getting a bit better with it. He had he had his um his return to return to racing hiccups on pace but he, he seems to be getting back there I think mm. um, and yeah not the weekend we expected from Renault really they, they had a few no. a few decent times in practice but that was it yeah and, and this circuit as well because it's got so many different sections of the, sections of the track high speed medium speed and low speed at the end it doesn't yeah. bode well for the rest of the season no. with the car they have if it's struggling at this circuit then it Will probably struggle at, at other circuits, which is a which is a big shame because at Silverstone, Renault 
looks really good, but for some reason it didn't, it didn't work. But it's not but a car yeah. you would necessarily have thought would be a high-speed car. But then both the Renault-powered cars and the McLaren as well are good in the high-speed tracks. So mm. yeah, and then it was the usual trio of teams at the back: Haas, Alpha. Romeo and Williams, there's not really too much to say about them. I saw Roman Grosjean had a, another ridiculously late defence on Kimi Raikkonen yeah, in the did. latter stages of the race. <laughs> I mean, Grosjean, what, what is he? We, we, we've we discussed this before in length in the first Silverstone race, I think it was. Yeah, it was. After race, yeah. And we, we, I think we all agreed that those types of moves just have to be ironed out because one day there's going to be a huge, huge accident. Uh, yeah, completely. There will be a huge accident if that carries on. Kimi Raikkonen, um, just, he did, yeah, he was incensed on the radio and he's, I mean, he's one that's quite shouty normally, but he was very, very, um, very, very cheesed off at that. I'm trying mm. to think of a, um, <laughs> a clean way to say that. Um, and he, um, yeah, it's a bit, it's just uncomfortable to watch that kind of defence. Mm. There, there are a few mm. of them in the, the junior category races this week, weekend as well. Um, I'm trying to think who it was. I think it was, um, oh, I can't remember. So in the F3 race, there were quite a few sort of late, darty defensive moves. Yeah, um, it's a young driver thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, because the last few years we've seen it, other drivers, you know, 12, 13, a few years ago, would have seen it. Oh, right, you can do that. And now they're 16, 17 in F3, F2, F4, whatever. They're doing the same things. And that's what that's what I'm, I'm worried about. Because this it's, is here to stay, I think. It's a video game move. Yeah. It's not a, a racetrack move. It's not, it's not a, respect, a respectful move on the racetrack. And... Um, we've got the Indy 500 coming up, the actual race coming up next week, and there was such a massive stir in the in the um, in the break about the virtual Indy Indy 500 race with um, Lando Norris and Simon Pagano, Simon Pagano <laughs> taking out Lando Norris and stuff. But mm. because Pagano thought that Norris had just gone for such a stupid move and put him out of the race in the first place, that was yeah. the impetus, and. The move Norris did, you just wouldn't do at Indy. It's that oh, kind yeah. of thing. No and way. these drivers are driving with the respect that they've learned. Indianapolis is a is is somewhere if you do if you do something stupid or go for something stupid, people's lives are at risk. And drivers seem to even with such serious incidents happening in previous in recent years, um, there seems to be such a invincibility that it's scary to see these kind of moves. It's scary. And it's scary they're coming up through the ranks because we know that we know that um, drivers set examples to younger drivers, and we've seen that with Schumacher coming through. I think mean, he's the prime example. So many famous incidents of Schumacher, um, his his, his um, Damon Hill clash, his Jacques Villeneuve clash for the championships, where he he just turned in and then took one title was disqualified from another, and he's he's obviously picked that up from. Um, Cross just not turning in in Suzuka 89 and Senna just deliberately um, nerfing Prost the year after. He's picked that up from these drivers thinking they're invincible and and that's just not on. It, it, it's got, all this stuff has a legacy. All these champions, all these drivers who are respected and have had long Formula 1 careers still doing this is, 
I, I'm repeating myself by saying it's not on. We have, we have, we've had debates about this before, but yeah, it, it's not comfortable viewing. What's just as scary is that nothing is being done about it. Nothing at all. And I find that kind of mad, really, that the FIA and the stewards are allowing this. I mean, mm. how, how can they be allowing this? I, I really don't know. But, yeah, nothing gets said. It's yes. filtering over to Formula E as well. Nick DeVries was, um, oh, yeah. was, <laughs> was very uncomfortable in some of his defence there. Yeah, it's lower speed. but And Jacques, not Jacques, it's Lucas Degrassi. <laughs> um, that's an interesting comparison. You can choose what you want to. <laughs> Shoes of that Freudian slip, but Lucas Degrassi, some of his defensive moves in um in the Formula E races was uh, the uh, for those of you he was attacking, know, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was the, the first corner yeah. at the um the Berlin two of the layouts in the Berlin track were um, was a really quite a long sweeping corner, and Degrassi would go to the outside of a driver, and then he would get sort of half a car ahead, and then basically try to scare them out and try to, by turning in and squeezing them. And one time he spun round because the cut didn't go out of the way. And the other time he tried to do it a bit early on Robin Freint and um, they just bashed into each other. And it's just, it's putting your car in harm's way and forcing other people to have accidents. And that results in a lot of accidents, actually. And this kind of thing, and then Nick DeFries would just dart up the inside of people or just drive across people in the braking zone. And it's just, yeah, he got a bit of a nickname of Nick Debris for that kind of thing. <laughs> And that's not Nick DeFries is a better driver than racing like that. And it's just, it's, it's uncomfortable viewing in anything you watch. Yeah, definitely. I definitely agree with that. Uh, yeah, there's not much to say on Williams and Haas and Alpha, unfortunately. So. Nicholas Latifi's pace was good this weekend. He, his quality yeah, lap just didn't really improving. Up, but really yeah, improving. he's got a good upwards curve. And, um, at one point, I looked at the timing tower and he was about 20 seconds off the back and I thought, oh, oh, no, Nicky. <laughs> but um, then he came through and I think he was only a few seconds off Russell at the end. He was just lapped a second time. So he got to finish earlier. Um, that was it. Um, yeah. But yeah, Latifi is he's, he's doing well, I think. I think it's only a matter of time before he does actually out-qualify Russell towards the end of the season. Yeah. So, I mean... I think we've summed it all up there in the last 45 minutes or so. That was everything that happened at the Spanish Grand Prix. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> ready, is there anything else that I've missed out or, or not really? I think the only another big topic to sort of come out from this weekend was the, um, the Toto Wolf feature um, story, um, which, which seems to be that Toto is is underway with a bit of sort of reflection of his position. Does he want to have such a hands-on role in the team? Does he want mm. to sort of, with, with Andy Cowell and the, and the performance powertrains department, they have, um, he's, he's, he's taken a step back. He's yeah. going into a bit more of a, um, I think I'm not a very corporate, but more road car kind of role with Daimler. Um, and they've had to split his role into five people. Are they thinking of um, Toto Wolf taking a step back, taking a bit more of a, balanced corporate role that kind of thing with a few other people um i think there's a there's a few discussions being had in mercedes and in daimler right now to sort of discuss what's going on with this mm. and I, I, yeah they, they were they did try out as early as brazil last year they tried out total wolf not being at an event and that was it was slightly compounded by the um 
the first Formula E race for Mercedes, but that was also a trial run to see what can Mercedes do without Toto Wolff. So. Yeah, they didn't win. <laughs> they didn't win, no. Ho- they, they, Hockenheim, they didn't. Hockenheim, oh, no, he was there at Hockenheim. He was there at Hockenheim. I don't know why. The whole Netflix word. documentary about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Tulsa Wolf talks have been going on for quite a while, really, the last few months. And, yeah, I'm not sure what, what's going to happen. I, I think he will stay. I think he'll stay. His, his, his role might just change. He might go into the role Nicky Lauder. Had before he passed away. Yeah, that's that's what I, something I could see. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the, yeah, the rumors won't go away, and that's just because there's nothing on paper. But mm. he he's um he's he's yeah he's he's already etched into the history of the sport. Does he want oh, to go yeah. out on a high? I would be surprised. Um, mm. That was kind of sort of a perspective with John Tots, Schumacher, and Ross Braun at Ferrari in, in um 15 years ago. So there could be that. There's also, there also have been some rumours, these are very stretchy rumours, <laughs> that Sebastian Vettel could be out by Monza or Spa and Nico Hülkenberg could be in the car Yeah. Um, at Ferrari just because um, of the relationship. The, the relationship between Vettel and his superiors. Well, I mean, that would be interesting because surely Ferrari would have to pay out Vettel to do that. And the reason they got rid of Vettel, sum. yeah, the reason they got rid of Vettel was that it was because of the coronavirus and they couldn't afford to keep him. That's what I, that's what I thought Ferrari said anyway. But it turns out maybe not. But yeah, that'll be an interesting one. But uh, yeah, uh, before we go, just just remind me, Freddie, where where can our viewers watch us and listen to us because I can't quite remember you so you're going to have to remind me I can't remember Nigel have you, have you, have you not been paying attention to the, the end of every podcast not perhaps? quite oh, well here it goes so you can you can watch a video version of this if you're not on YouTube we've got a YouTube channel we can get F1 podcast uh, we've got the back catalogue obviously of all our podcasts there if you want to go back in time if you want to watch um, our sort of 70th anniversary special where we talk about our favourite moments of Formula One. Um, you've got you've got our Twitter account, which is Winget F1 on Twitter, and you can get links there to everything. We've got our website on Acast, which is going to be read out to you by me, which is shows.acast.com forward slash winging it hyphen no winging hyphen it hyphen F1 hyphen podcast which is obviously easy to type in. So go and do that and go to our website and you can find us on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts. We're working on Google Play so you Android users can listen to us. So yeah, there's, there's Android. more than Android. Well, what's Nigel been listening to? Who knows? So <laughs> us iPhone users can. But um, anyway, so yeah, that's where you can find us, dear fan. <laughs> yes, and me and Freddie will be back hopefully with a third guest since Adam is not here later in the week. So, yeah, we'll see you for that. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.